0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've not yet met in person, but I'm getting to know. She's a member of the Catholic Podcast Collective and one of the hosts of the Biblical Woman Podcast, and she's a part of the Simply Devoted Ministry for Women, which I'm looking forward to getting to know a little bit more about. She's a Catholic and a mom. It's Kat Cooley. Hello, Kat. Hey,
1: thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to talk with you today. And Oh, I, oh, my goodness. I don't want to spoil it all yet, but I am so <laughs> excited to talk with you and thank you for having me on your show. Uh, yes, I am a um, podcaster and a blogger. Uh, I'm a mom. I have two under two, so my life's a little bit crazy. Two, I guess, fun facts just to, for you guys to know about me. Okay, so I do have to share this little secret about myself. I recently learned like during a trip to Illinois that not every single McDonald's in the country sells biscuits and gravy. I was <laughs> thoroughly disappointed. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I know you have biscuits back there and I know you have gravy or not gravy. I know you have sausage back there and I know you have the biscuits. I'll make the gravy if you guys would just do <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's a little secret about me. I absolutely love biscuits and gravy. And then I don't know if you like escape rooms, Julia,
0: but. I've never done one before. I've never done one. So you have to to teach me. (laughs) Tell me about it.
1: Yeah, okay. Okay, so escape rooms are amazing. They are, you don't have to be smart because people still ask me to be on their team. So you don't have to be smart (laughs) to do it in an escape room. You walk into a room, you get a certain amount of time and you have to solve puzzles and clues and riddles. And each room has a different story. There's different uh, characters. There's different objectives. And your goal is to escape the room. You're never locked in the room, so you don't have to worry about that. But your goal is to like beat the room in the allotted amount of time. Mm-hmm. And a pro tip for anybody out there who's wanting to do an escape room You need to assign roles to everyone before you go in. That way, you know, you're not all doing the same thing or stepping on each other's toes or, you know, everybody has a role and we are communicating well. You know, if you are someone who's good at math, when there's a mathematical problem, you got it. Or, you know, your, your job is to write down the clues on the whiteboard or, you know, make a pile for all the keys, put all these salt riddles in the assigned corner. Everybody has a job. A role. So, my assigned group role for our team is to uh, walk around and be like, hmm, <laughs> that looks like a puzzle. And then walk away.
0: You're kind of like the detective a little yeah, bit. You just kind of be. I'm
1: like, man, those who hangs recipe cards up on the wall?
0: <laughs> so, you look for anything suspicious.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got it. I never actually solve it. So, those are. <laughs> Two fun facts. Fun
0: fact. That's funny. I, I uh, the biscuits and gravy thing, or you? We talked earlier before we started recording. We're both. Well, you live in Ohio now. Are you originally from that part of the country, or where are you from originally? So
1: I am actually from um, Northern Ohio. I moved around a lot growing up, so I got to meet a lot of really cool people growing up. Um, but I am from Northern Ohio. I know you had mentioned that you were from Cleveland. So I grew up more, uh, closer to the Akron area.
0: Okay. Cause biscuits and gra- gravy are not really a thing up where I'm originally from, but I can see how, like now you mentioned you're more on like the border of Kentucky so that that's like more of a thing probably down there and this, I'm in Virginia now. So certainly like biscuits and gravy are like a thing, but yeah, I don't think all over the country it's not, but you found out the hard way, huh? <laughs> I did, I did. I was like,
1: oh, okay. Um... I guess I'll have a coffee then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can relate to the escape room thing too. I, um, I'm i a teacher. And so my thing more, even though I've never done an escape room, are trivia nights. And so my friends and I used to get together a lot and we would all have roles too because we were all teachers. We made the best trivia team ever because we had our history teacher. We had our math teacher. We had our science teacher. And my role was always the pop culture. So you'll kind of learn about me that I like I'm a nerd for, like I just always keep up with trends and even though I'm old, I'm like on TikTok, and you know, I, I teach middle schoolers, so I'm always like in the know of like what's going on, even if I don't want to be, you know. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into the scripture. So I am excited to talk to you about this because um, we haven't done a lot of Old Testament on my podcast, and we definitely have not done a lot of these deuter- deuterocanonical books, which are kind of these extra books, which I'm going to explain. So we decided to do Tobit together. So I'm going to have you read Tobit um, chapter eight, verses four through eight, I think is what we decided. Yes. And then I'll give a little context and we'll go from there. So whenever you're ready, Kat, if you could read that for us.
1: All right. Okay. So this is the new revised standard version. So you guys might have a little bit different translation, but this is verses uh, four through eight. When the parents had gone out and shut the door of the room, Tobias got out of bed and said to Sarah, sister, get up and let us pray and implore our Lord that he grant us mercy and safety. So she got up and they began to pray and implore that they might be kept safe. Tobias began saying, Blessed are are you, O God of our ancestors, and blessed is your name in all generations forever. Let the heavens and the whole creation bless you forever. You made Adam, and for him you made his wife Eve, as a helper and a support. From the two of them the human race has sprung. You said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Let us make a helper for him, like himself." Now I am taking this kinswoman of mine, not because of lust, but with sincerity. Grant that she and I may find mercy and that we may grow old together. And they both said, amen, amen.
0: Okay, so I want to give a little bit of background on Tobit. I mentioned it's a deuterocanonical book, which means... It's only in the Catholic Bibles. There are seven books um, referred to as sometimes the Apocrypha, but we call them the Deuterocanonical books, which are extra books that we keep in our Catholic Bibles. And this is a really dramatic story. It's a short yes. book, so if you get a chance to to read it, um, I'd recommend just giving it – It's a it's a wild story. So essentially, summary is – Tobit is this older man. He is he suffers misfortune. He's taken from his home in Jerusalem to Nineveh. And so he also becomes blind, loses his sights. And so he's just kind of like a Job character where he's just everything's going bad for him. Meanwhile, Sarah is in a separate family, a different family. She's lost seven of her husbands. She's been married seven times, and um, all of her husbands have died. And so Raphael, the um, archangel, kind of comes into play, and he kind of plays matchmaker. He helps out Tobit by getting his son Tobiah to marry Sarah. And this passage that you've picked, um, there, it's on their wedding night, so Tobit's son has married Sarah, and they're praying because they don't want him to die. They're afraid that he's going to die like all of the husbands. Mm-hmm. But I think there's so much more here too. Um, so we, I can't wait to talk to you about it. There's definitely some Genesis references here. I think I get a little bit of like Magnificat vibes from it a little bit at the beginning of, um, with the, the prayer of praise. So Kat, we, we had originally emailed you. kind of want to talk about Ephesians because you kind of focus in your ministry on marriage and dating. Um, but why did you uh, uh, like decide to go with this passage? What What do you like about it? Why did you pick it?
1: So I have to be very, very transparent with you guys. I, even though I am a Catholic now, I did not always grow up that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up in the evangelical church. And Mm -hmm. then during college, I joined the Protestant uh, church. I was a Presbyterian and it was about goodness about halfway through my marriage with my husband, that the Holy Spirit started working on our hearts individually. And we came to the Catholic church after, goodness, a year and a half of being on that spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But growing up, you know, I was in that evangelical church and something that we had was called purity culture, specifically Mm -hmm. evangelical purity culture. And in a nutshell, it gave a lot of young people lots of bad, unbiblical ad- advice, and mm-hmm. I grew up in that nonsense, and it really shaped how I viewed and treated relationships and partners um, in a very negative way. So my goal is to help women of all ages navigate you know, not only the like, craziness, but also build you know, Christ-centered relationships and faith-driven lives. And dating is so, so crucial because it should lead to the formation of the very, very first covenant that we see in the Bible. And that is why I absolutely love focusing on dating and marriage topics because I made a lot of mistakes and I really, really want to help women avoid the same mistakes that I made and to have biblical relationships that are just focused and centered in Christ.
0: Awesome. And so you focus on that in your podcasts, right? The Biblical women, You talk about the dating and relationships there.
1: Yes. Uh, my co host, Nicole, and I, um, we have a very wonderful connection. So I am a Catholic and my co host is a Reformed Protestant. And, you know, we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about dating, um, marriage, parenting. We have even done some Bible and theology episodes together which gets Mm -hmm. pretty interesting, Um, always from a perspective of love and respect for one another. But yes, dating and marriage, those are probably the biggest things that we focus on together.
0: And this passage, you had mentioned one of the reasons why you have gotten into this ministry is that that first covenant is so important. And so this passage does kind of reference that first covenant between Adam and Eve in their prayer. So because you're maybe not familiar or, or maybe you became familiar with Tobit, I'm guessing, later in your yes. career because you didn't grow up with this book, I'm assuming. Right.
1: Oh, yeah. No, this is <laughs> not not something you read. This You didn't read. this.
0: <laughs> so what do you as uh, coming from that perspective, like what do you think when you when you read this now?
1: My heart truly, truly breaks for the evangelical and the Protestant churches because there is so much spiritual truth that they are missing out on. And the book of Tobit has so many spiritual truths um, from marriage, um, the intercession of angels, Mm -hmm. all of it. It is a beautiful book. It's a great story. And um, when I started reading through this and working through it, I walked away with a more profound understanding of marriage than I ever had growing up. Um, Even if that is the only theme that you want to focus on in this book, you you just, it's so deep.
0: Yeah, so it's definitely, this passage that we're, we're talking about is read at weddings a lot, so we can definitely get into that. But I think in terms of themes, um, I'm not married, so I, I'm, I'm single and I've been single for much of my life. Um, and when I read it, though, even though I definitely can see, like, the marriage and the wedding themes and we'll get into it, I still think there's so much, like, Tobit does remind me of, like, a Job character, as I mentioned. And I just, that story to me is, like, the trust that they have and the faithfulness that they have. I also kind of get some Ruth vibes from this too where like she was faithful to her mother-in-law no matter what even though giving up her like it meant giving up her background and her faith and I just feel like the people in this story are so faithful and so trusting and so even me as someone who's not married I still get get that you know and that encouragement of like their faithfulness and commitment to God I don't know but let's talk about the the marriage themes in here Um, you know what do you what are you picking up from all of this what do you get from it?
1: The, when I read through that, the verses uh, four through eight, there were a couple of things that really just jumped out at me. The first one being that in verse four, you know, this is their, this is their wedding night. Okay. Um, (laughs) It is absolutely amazing to me how righteous and spiritual that Tobias was that the very Mm -hmm. first thing that he decides to do as a married couple is to take up that mantle of being the spiritual leader. And he's like, we need to pray. We need to pray right now. Mm -hmm. You pray with me. I think that action of asking her that, you know, verifies his later statement in his prayer that, you know, Hey, I'm not marrying Sarah out of lust. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he is stepping up into that role as a spiritual leader. He is encouraging her to pray and he's explaining to her why we should pray in this moment instead of proceeding with a traditional wedding night.
0: Yeah, it's a really, that line um, that you mentioned, number seven, verse seven, uh, really stands out to me as well. You know, now, Lord, you you know that I take this wife of mine, not because of lust, but for a noble purpose. And when I do hear this at weddings, I am struck by that, like what you mentioned, that the first thing that he decides to do, and maybe it's because, as I mentioned, he's a little bit afraid for his life, but the (laughs) prayer seems so sincere. Like the prayer really does sincere. And I mentioned, the beginning part kind of gives me a little bit of like magnificat in the new testament like blessed are you oh god of our fathers like that mention of the ancestors that like mary does in the new testament um when she praises god for what he's going to do for her i don't know and then there's the genesis reference in verse six and then yeah that verse seven that really stands out you mentioned purity culture and i feel like this I don't know how do how do you see do you see that this ties into that or is maybe a remedy for some of that that stuff that you grew up with in any way?
1: Oh, absolutely. I I think that you could take this passage alone and um, refute purity culture. And I think I've been thinking about this because my co-host and I have we've done episodes on purity culture before, addressing it from a biblical standard. And I think verse four here highlights the underlying issue with evangelical purity culture because with evangelical purity culture, what we're starting off with is an unbiblical definition of sex. And that comes from an unbiblical view of marriage. So Tobit 8 verse 4 shows us, so verse 4 and then also verse 6 shows us that what the biblical marriage is, what the biblical definition is, because in the creation story, you know, we see that the Trinity existed forever in the past and it will exist forever into the future. And it exists with perfect love, unity, and community, all of the members. Mm -hmm. And in the creation story, we see the man and the woman are created. The first marriage was formed and it teaches us that marriage is this life giving communion of two believers that should reflect the life-giving love, unity, and communion of the Trinity. So I think that verse alone refutes probably the biggest underlying problem with evangelical purity culture.
0: So can you speak a little, so I I was born and raised Catholic, and I definitely, in my high school years, because the non-denominational churches were a little bit more fun, I would go to mass and have youth group with my, you know, my Catholic church, and then I would join my friends who were non-denominational sometimes at their church, because they had more praise and worship music, and more of these, like, youth groups and stuff, and so I became a little bit familiar with purity culture, but it wasn't as much of a thing, I feel like, in my circles growing up. So what do you mean by, like, the, the unbiblical teachings that they, that they present in purity culture?
1: So in the 90s and 2000s, there was a movement within the Southern Baptist Church, um, which I would consider Southern Baptist evangelical. You could also consider them Mm -hmm. Protestant, depending upon which church you attend. But the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, they started buying into this movement of, you know, how are we going to teach Kids, How are we going to teach young adults about sex? How are we going to teach them about marriage and purity and dating? And all of these are good things and they're good questions to ask. But the solution was they came up with a lot of books and I'm trying to remember the author's name.
0: So I read, I did read in the early two thousands or late nineties. Um, I t- kissed stating goodbye, think yes. it was like Joshua Harris. Yes. I read that one. That one made its way into my, my circle.
1: <laughs> yes, that was a huge one. And I think that is the biggest one. That was actually the one I was trying to think of. So that book influenced a lot of people and it started off, um, it, it was really the book that started the whole movement and led off into other other books and other authors. Um, and he actually ended up walking away from the face. sadly.
0: Mm-hmm. I think he's since like apologized for that book. I feel like he's kind of taken back some of the things that he said.
1: Absolutely. Um, if I'm not
0: mistaken. Yeah.
1: So, but Purity Culture, that book happened and other authors and other books came out and it was a way to teach young people about purity and sex and all of that. And we all agree that, you know, sex should be saved for marriage and you should practice purity until marriage. They gave a lot of reasons as to why.
0: So this is a really
1: big topic, guys, and I will try to
0: <laughs> um, I know, or I, know a, I opened up a big can, but I'm just yeah. curious as to like I guess more for the purposes of the pop- this podcast, like the scripture, like you were saying that it was like ant are kind of going against like what the Bible states, and so I'm curious about that.
1: Yeah, so I think the best way to phrase it or explain it is that evangelical purity culture was a Veggie Tales approach to. <laughs> um, teaching young people about purity, marriage, and sex. Um, you know, it really taught a lot of young girls that they the reason that they should wait for marriage was because, you know, sex was just a gift. It was just a gift for your husband. Um, that it also taught a lot of women, very negative self views and I could go on and on about that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it taught women. It really taught a lot of young girls to view their their worth and their identity within their sexual status, and not mm-hmm. within the not within Christ and what the Bible has to say about our place as Christians.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I definitely think, from what I remember from that book, it wasn't very scriptural based. Um, and what I did like about it, I guess is, you know, I liked the idea of the courtship and, and I don't know, like kind of group hanging out like the, I don't know, this kind of the innocent approach and like the kind of restoring some of the things that have gotten lost. Like me as a single woman now, like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's wild out there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, but that's a whole nother podcast for another time. (laughs) Um, But I think you're right. Like, I don't remember it being very scriptural. I do remember that I read that book in my freshman year in college. I was like, I'm going to like follow this book. And then like, That went out the window, I think, like a semester in, you know, like it wasn't very realistic uh, in in reality in the way that my life was playing out. But okay, so back to the scripture verse. I love this, though. This is so fascinating. I really at the end want to plug your podcast so people can listen to more. Um, You know, you're so knowledgeable about all of that. So I definitely want to encourage people to to know more. But um, so we love that they are praying on their wedding night. We love that there are Old Testament references here. Um, what other messages or things do you love about this passage?
1: Yeah. Okay. So we have, a, I have a couple of more points. The next thing that I really think that stood out to me was how emotionally mature Tobias was. Because mm-hmm. um, as you said, you know, the backstory of this book, Sarah has lost seven husbands. You know, people in the town probably thought that she was a murderer. She mm-hmm. more than likely had trauma of losing seven people. So she was just probably not in a very a very good spot. Um, you know, because with most weddings, we're all very happy, very excited, so in love. So she was probably terrified. And Mm -hmm. Tobias comes in, you know, he is very respectful, he's caring, and he is behaving in such a healing manner. He is creating a safe space from the beginning with her. And he is just sensitive to her emotional and her spiritual needs. And, you know, he knows that, you know, he, in his own power, he can't help her. So he is there Mm -hmm. begging for God to help him and to help Sarah. And Tobias was emotionally mature, I believe, because he was spiritually mature.
0: Yeah, I get that, too. I feel like it's really interesting because, again, I'm a scripture person. And so I had a student this year. She was such a romantic. You know, I teach middle school. So they're all the girls are starting to, you know, by the end of the year, they're all sitting a little bit closer to the boys, even though they they all smell bad. And like, (laughs) but um, they were when I was teaching Genesis, they were just kind of appalled at like how. You know, women were not, and even not just in Genesis, but throughout scripture, women were not, there wasn't this love story, right? Usually, you know, some, some of the characters fall in love, but like most of the time it's an arranged marriage for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And even I think in this story, maybe a little bit too, it's, it's the purpose is to help Tobit out because Tobit's down on his luck. And so Raphael is bringing Sarah into this to, to help them. But like you pointed out, Tobias seems very genuine in like his, his. You know, not wanting to be noble and to be to make it more than just this arrangement. You know what I mean? So we that's rare. I feel like we don't see that very often in scripture where there is this genuine like nobility and honor. Um, It's almost a little bit like Joseph and Mary, too. You know, I don't know if you wanted to respond to that.
1: Yeah. The I think that, you know, this is something that women should be looking for is you desire you should desire a man who is emotionally mature
0: And you Mm -hmm. should desire
1: a man who is spiritually mature because that emotional maturity does come from spiritual maturity, which Mm -hmm. kind of leads into my next point. When you are a spiritually mature Christian, you understand the function and the purpose of a Christian marriage as Tobias does. And his prayer highlights that. You know, he is not just marrying this woman out of lust or for procreation. Mm -hmm. You know, he is asking God to give them a lifelong, intimate relationship where he can connect with Sarah on every single level. He wants to connect with her spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He desires to be a true friend with her and have a special connection that he's not going to share with anyone else. And he desires to help her grow in holiness and to pursue God. You know, she is on this spiritual journey and Tobias, as her husband, he wants to go with her and accompany her the whole way.
0: Yeah, I do love that image of, again, the two of them just kneeling on their wedding night. And then I think um, in verse 7 at the end you know, his request is allow us to live together to a happy old age. And that's really beautiful. And again, I I know that maybe the background is he doesn't, you know, he wants to live a long time. But like, I, it's that togetherness, um, that, that mm-hmm. mutual. And when we had originally emailed, you had mentioned maybe wanting to do Ephesians, which I've done previously. But I don't know, when I talked to my guest about Ephesians, I think often it's misinterpreted as women having to be submissive and that's a whole thing, right? But at the end of the verse that um, we don't usually say in Ephesians is like this, this it references this mutual respect and love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we get that here too. I don't okay. know if you wanted to say anything about Ephesians since you didn't get a chance to or.
1: Yeah. Um, I think you you brought up a really, really good point here because Tobias isn't treating Sarah like she is a possession. He is not mm-hmm. trying to control her or claim that she is his belonging. You know, he is treating her as an equal partner. You know, they are a unit, they are a couple in equal standing. Yes, he is that spiritual leader, that spiritual mentor, but he is not a supervisor, he's not the controller, the manager. He views Sarah as his equal and he treats her as such. And I think this story is such a beautiful picture of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is a really wild, <laughs> wild passage if anybody, but I, I think... Um, just to kind of wrap up here, like there are other themes, like, but certainly, this passage is used at weddings. It's a beautiful image for for couples and for people who are desiring marriage. And um but there's a lot to this this story as a whole, too, like just of trust and faithfulness and righteousness and what holiness looks like because this whole all the characters in this um, story do really trust God and just represent like just faithful, holy people. So something to aspire to all around. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this passage, Kat, before we wrap up?
1: I think that you're right. This book has so many great themes and spiritual truths. You guys, you just need to go read it. It is amazing. Um, I know we only highlighted the marriage themes, the dating themes, but when I was doing my research on this book, you know, this The story setting, the book was written later or yeah, later, you know, it takes place around 722 BC. And when we look at the other books of the Bible, we see that Micah was written around 700 BC. Mm -hmm. And in there, you know, we know that Israel and Judah were going to suffer for their idolatry and their unfaithfulness, but God, he promises to preserve a remnant of the people. And I think that is a theme, a major, major theme that you can pull out of Tobit. And I think that is why you should go read the book of Tobit and look for other themes outside of marriage and dating.
0: No, I think you're right. I was going to bring up that in my little introduction of the book. You know, it was written around this time period where many books were the prophetic and a lot of these kind of right before, right around the Babylonian exile the Jews got, they had so much prolific writing and things coming out. So I'm glad that you brought up the time period so we can get a reference for that um, as well. A lot of beautiful literature came out of that, that like 700 BC, 500, 600 BC era, for sure. Well, thank you, Kat, so much for doing this. And um, I want to give you an opportunity now at the end here to plug any projects or things you'd like us to check out. Um, so where can we find you? What would you like us to, to check out?
1: Yeah. Uh, so my podcast is the biblical woman podcast. Um, you know, we are on Spotify, iTunes, Google, pretty much any, uh, your favorite podcasting platforms. We are there. So definitely check us out. I also have a blog. It's called simply and it is a women's ministry. I am very passionate about dating and marriage. However, There are also a lot of topics surrounding pregnancy loss and miscarriage there as well, um, because I unfortunately have experience with both of those. Um, So definitely go ahead and check that out. And we are also on Facebook. It's Simply Devoted. So I look forward to hearing with you guys and connecting with with you guys. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, and you all can find me on uh, Instagram at Seven Mile Chats, all spelled out. You can also find me on Twitter at Miss Struckley One. Um, it's more of my teaching account. You can ask me questions. If you'd like to be a guest, um, talk about scripture, you can find me at Miss Struckley M S S T R U K E L Y One. Thanks again, Cat, so much for for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been such an honor to talk with you. Bye, everyone.